Okay, DeMichael, on this episode of Locked on Grizzlies, I promised my daughters, Caroline and Abby, that I would be quiet because I've been too loud the last couple of episodes <laughs> and I've woken my children up. So y- your job on this episode, we I can't you. talk about anything that's going to make me angry. I need to stay calm. That's a lot of good of my, yeah, we can't talk about anything that's going to upset me. We have to stay straight and narrow, happy, tranquil vibes on this Thursday edition of Locked On Grizzlies. Let's lock in. You are Locked On Grizzlies, your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's another wonderful edition of Locked On Grizzlies. We're so grateful that you are joining us, however you're taking in the show, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, liking, commenting, rating, reviewing, subscribing, doing all those things. Another Thursday edition of Locked On Grizzlies. I am one of your hosts, Joe Monax, joined by my co-host, Michael Cole of the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis, Tennessee. He's the Grizzlies beat writer for that publication. I am the current head of Grizzlies content over at Bluff City Media. BluffCityMedia.co is where you can check out all of our stuff. Between DeMichael and I, we have a lot of experience covering the Memphis Grizzlies. So you're in a good place if you're looking for Grizzlies and overall NBA content. We can't stress enough that we're proud members of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team each and every day, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. DeMichael, you talked about John Morant's statement on yesterday's show, and we're going to gloss over it for the reasons that I laid out at the start, I'm trying to stay calm tonight. My daughter, you can do it. You can my, do my it. Year old looked at me and said, "Daddy, I heard you, and you woke me up." So, Usa, <laughs> breathing exercises. I'm straight. I'm good to go. We are going to talk about John Morant here at the jump, and then we'll, you know, dive into some actual basketball-related things with the Grizzlies. Uh, but we will start with Jaw. And I, I thought your episode yesterday was a strong one, focusing on Jaw's statement, which again, I'm not going to talk about. Don't don't talk about it. Oh, I, I need to stop talking about it. I wrote about it over at Bluff City Media, and if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. I, I think I articulated my frustration well in that piece, and I know you've been covering a lot going on uh, with everything related to Jaw. Something that you have done a good job covering broadly overall over the mm-hmm. span of the Ja Morant era is the growth of his endorsement presence. You know, whether it's Nike, the stuff with Powerade, Body Armor before that. He has the underwear line, whose name I forget off the top of my head right now. Uh, he, he has all sorts of different stuff that he kind of has his toes dipped in uh, from a financial standpoint. I wrote about in my piece over Bluff City Media. Uh, it's called For John Morant, Less is More. And I talk about how, you know, John Morant's going to make $190 million plus million as a basketball player, right? Assuming that contract doesn't get voided. We're pretty far away from that, I think. Uh, but my point was he can make millions outside of that through mm-hmm. endorsement deals. And it, it feels like there is a growing piece of momentum, no matter how hard J.J. Redick fights it, uh, to, to suspend Jaw pretty substantially. You know, a 40-game suspension for the entire year. I've landed on 16 to 20 games. I, I think I agree with Redick that anything more than that, when you look at the precedent of other longer suspensions in NBA history, something like 40 games, you know, Miles Bridges 
didn't get 40 games, right? And he right, did right. things that I would argue are worse than what John Morant has done. So not to, you know, compare, but I, I do think precedent would suggest it would be less than that. But it is a second offense. It is a situation where he is a public face of the NBA. How do you foresee the stuff with Nike? Because there's rumors online, right? So it's all speculation at this point. Nobody really knows for sure. But whether it's Nike, more broadly, the impact of this potentially on his endorsements, again, it may not be the main source of his income, but we talk about generational wealth. Like what made Michael Jordan generationally wealthy was his relationship with Nike, right? right. Like right. the fact that he's an owner in the National Basketball Association isn't because of all the money he made playing basketball. It's because of the way that he got paid, the stock options, all the stuff. The post-career stuff, yeah. Correct. John Morant is in that realm, potentially, in terms of the impact he can have. He's obviously diverted because of all of the transgressions he's had over the last year. Yeah, and it's it's tough because one thing that we've learned about Ja, uh, Joe, is he wants to be a billionaire. Right. You know, you, you heard it again. Who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a billionaire? Who That's doesn't want to be a billionaire? Right. <laughs> right. And the thing is, it's not only does he want to be a billionaire, he wants to do it by 30. This mm -hmm. is a goal he and his mom talked about before. He and his mom have kind of set this goal out. And in order for that to happen, it starts here. It starts with Nike. It starts with your presence with Nike becoming so big that you're commercialized everywhere. Uh, you're going taking trips, you know, over to, to ch China and to other foreign countries and, and doing basketball tournaments and things and and becoming a global superstar. Mm. John Morant isn't a, a global superstar yet. No. I would agree with that. He's well on the way. There is a pathway to seeing it happen. Mm -hmm. But he's not there yet. This is how uh, that happens. And, and in order for that to happen, you, you, you have to be in a straight line. Uh, with these endorsements and things like that. You have to kind of don't put these endorsers in a position to come out with statements uh, like Nike did, you know, in the past or, or Powerade had to, had to scrub, you know, it's March Madness commercial mm -hmm. that it had uh, with John Morant and, and basically redo the commercial in the last weeks leading up to the NCAA tournament and things like that. So it's a tough position and people like say, Oh, well, yeah, you know, John hasn't, committed a crime and I'm firm believer in that. I've said it in the past. Yes, he, he has not, he didn't break any law and that's why the punishment, you know, it, it should be, it should be layered. It should not be, you know, he should not be punished like a criminal or like he did a, a criminal thing. But with that being said, because of not only his status in the NBA, but his status as Nike describes him as the first Gen Z a signature shoe athlete uh, for mm -hmm. Nike. Uh, that's how they've kind of branded John Morant. Or Powerade's first big basketball endorser in more than five years. Right. And what he's doing with Hulu and Beats by Dre and the list goes on. Uh, you got you to gotta be conscious of those things because guess what? People pointed out. All of these are pretty much, you know, kids. Kids are your biggest consumers. Kids are the one knocking on their parents' door. Mommy, Daddy, I want the Jaw Ones. Mom, Daddy, I want a Powerade because right. Jaw has it. And you don't want kids seeing John Morant, you know, holding up a gun on Instagram live video and things no. like that. That's kind of how we've gotten to this point. And that's where uh, the endorsement side of things comes from. But 
I think everything that he wants is still attainable because what I've gathered just talking to people, the best story that people love, though, is the comeback story. In, a, in, America, in America, you go look at some of the top sports movies or whatever the case may be of all time. Generally, it's a comeback story. It's a team that starts off really bad in some way, shape, or form, and they get better. And in Josh's case, he's got his embarrassing moment. He had it, and then he, he got it again. He doubled down on it, and now uh, – with the endorsements, it sounds like so far, uh, there you know endorsements sticking with them. And I wrote the story yesterday about Nike. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's still up on the sneakers app. It's still up on the Hibbit Sports app. But uh, this the sneaker, uh, the Jaw One Hunger sneaker that's projected to come out uh, next Thursday is not available on the Nike apps anymore. And some people are like, oh, it it it, it was never on the Nike app. Yes, it was. It was definitely on the Nike app. It's coming from someone who actually checks and makes sure of those, excuse me, of those type things. But it also wasn't on the Finish Line app anymore. And Finish Line had it on its lunch calendar, which was in the shoe was also removed from there. So uh, there is some valid reason for us to have this conversation about the endorsements and what's going to happen from here. But at the end of the day, it's a good chance. If you want to look at it from a positive perspective, he has a chance to create the comeback story, and people love those. But if we're talking about present tense and right now, he's in a tough spot. The endorsers are in a tough spot because they have to figure out what to do. And it doesn't sound like, you know, as we said, we haven't seen Nike release a statement. Remember, Nike released a statement pretty much immediately after that first incident. Uh, They're kind of in a wait-and-see mode right now. Waiting to see what the NBA does, I'm sure. And that would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm curious to see – you're exactly right about the kids. Right, I think that's yeah. an important point. As a father of three – You know. I know you that know. a lot of the things that I purchase are because of my children. Right. But I will also say that a lot of the things that my children like are in part because of me. Like my children mm. being professional wrestling fans is not because they found pro wrestling and just think it's wonderful. It's because they, they were introduced to it. Yeah, correct. My my children have been introduced to the Memphis Grizzlies, and they are aware of John Morant. So they know who John Morant is. And on Good Morning America this past Monday, when John Morant was one of the lead stories, Michael Strahan's talking about John Morant. My kids are jumping up and down, saying it's John, it's John. I'm like, no, no, that's we're, this is not a reason to be excited. He's, we don't want him to be on the news uh, for what's happening right here. So I do think that that if you want to make that billion dollars by the age of 30, which is a pretty lofty goal, even before uh, the, the current couple of months of issues and obviously the year, even beyond that, if you want to do that, you have to expand globally, which you're exactly right. But you also need to hit the audience that I just referenced. When your face is on Good Morning America, when your face is going out and becoming part of American culture, not just basketball culture, but a part of the American consciousness. It needs to be a positive vibe so that when a parent that isn't a blogger and podcaster by night and day and as their side hustle, a normal Jimmy or Joe dad has a parent, has a kid, his five-year-old come up to him and say, dad, I want a kid pair of jaw ones. They're thinking, oh, you mean, yeah, I know who John Morant is. He's that really talented player for the Memphis Grizzlies. Sure. If that's what you want, that's fine. Yeah, most aren't going to want to buy a Jaw One right now because of what it's associated with. You can say that's fair. You can say that's unfair. That's the reality of the situation. He may not have broken any laws, but in the court of public opinion, he is currently losing. And what you lose when you're in that situation is dollars and cents. And I think that 
he has a lot of work to do to kind of regain his momentum there. I can feel the anger building to Michael, so we need to move on. We got to move uh -oh, on. Uh oh, let's, uh, switch, let's I, switch it up. It, it made me angry. So, Wusa, uh, breathing exercises. I'm good. We'll talk about another thing that's going to make me angry: Desmond Bain having a procedure done on his toe. But I'm going to stay calm because it sounds like a good prognosis, and we'll talk about all of that next here on Lockdown Grizzlies. But first. This episode of Lockdown Grizzlies is brought to you by the good folks over at eBay Motors. I got to tell you, if you are building a championship team, you got to make sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same thing when you come to your when it comes to your vehicle. Every part has to fit just right. You got to head to eBay Motors the next time you need parts and accessories. They have the guaranteed fit where you get everything fitting just right the first time around. You add your ride to my garage, look for the green check to know the part will fit, or you're going to get your money back. Just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you shop on eBay Motors, over 122 million parts are there to choose from. You'll be back in the game in no time. It's easy to bring home a win with the right parts when they are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to United States customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Desmond Bain. Toe procedure, but it's not the worst news, or at least not as bad as it could have been. Next, on Lockdown Grizzlies. Welcome back to Lockdown Grizzlies. I am Joe Mullinax, joined by DeMichael Cole of the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis, Tennessee. He is the Grizzlies beat writer for that publication. I am Joe Mullinax, as I mentioned. I write and work over at BluffCityMedia.co. I also am a writer for SB Nation. So, again, between DeMichael and I, plenty of experience on the Grizzlies, plenty of know-how and knowledge. And at the very least, you'll see me have a meltdown every other episode or so. And that's fairly entertaining from what I've gathered from the comments. Uh, no meltdowns today because I'm trying to help my children stay asleep. DeMichael, as far as the actual basketball of the Memphis Grizzlies, and a nice segue in terms of leadership, I talked about earlier this week about how Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr., in my opinion, are pretty clearly the leaders of the Memphis Grizzlies at this stage. Yeah. I don't really think it's a question anymore. Uh, ja needs to figure out what's going on with Ja. If we're talking on the court, Grizzlies basketball, it's Bane and it's Jared's team, at least for now. Bane has a procedure on his toe, something that's been bothering him for a vast majority of the season. But as much as that concerns you, or at least it concerned me at first, mm -hmm. to read the prognosis from the franchise, they seem to be in pretty good headspace in terms of thinking this won't stop Bane from being ready for the regular season. My concern, though, is how much of his game is he going to be able to work on over the summer as opposed to having to rehab? Yeah, you you watched Desmond Bain play this year, and mm -hmm. a lot of the improvements that we saw were a lot of his game uh, was the burst, you know, the, yeah. the speed element, the get out in transition, the playmaking, the rebounding. All these numbers uh, took a jump up. Three-point shooting was still above 40%. But there's reason to be optimistic because he dealt with a lot. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I've – Tried to explain it, but he dealt with a lot. He never wanted to make the excuse. You could ask him about it. He wasn't really going to say too much, you know, in front of a lot of people because it, it, he didn't want to make the excuse. At the end of the day, he was going to play. But you got to realize, one, uh, he had the minor back thing that he played through in the playoffs against mm -hmm. Golden State last season. But this was really the first time. This is what he told me. It was really the first time in his career that he was hurt. Like, to the point where he was missing games. Right. It's the first, first time that happened for Desmond Bain. So he had to, to mentally 
grasp that part of it. But not only that, when he came back, he couldn't wear Kyrie's signature shoes anymore. He wore Kyrie's, he wore PG's, Paul George's signature shoes, and those were the two sneakers he wore the most. I think he 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 burst his feet burst out of a pair of Kyrie's early in the season. You really you really didn't trust him anymore after that. And then uh, with the Paul Georges, he he had grown comfortable with wearing those. But then when the foot thing happened, uh, they were too stiff. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where the doctors pretty much told him, "Hey, look, you got to find a you got to find a looser shoe uh, to wear." Which he ended up coming across the LeBron twenties, and those were the only shoes that Desmond Bain wore in practice, wore in games, pretty much for the rest of the season. Wow, you know Desmond Bain. Uh, when the Grizzlies played the Lakers, he didn't want to wear those shoes. As right. he as he as he stressed, as he as he said to me uh, in January, he said, "I promise to God, <laughs> if it wasn't if it wasn't for my foot, I wouldn't be wearing these shoes." <laughs> and and those and those were his words. So I mean, that's something that I think you know people people some people don't understand the coverage of the sneakers and things like that. But it's it's reasons like that that really kind of unveil and reveal some things. And now when Desmond Bain starts next season, what sneaker he's wearing will kind of be uh, something to monitor because uh, he had, he isn't a big fan of the LeBrons, uh, so to speak. But overall, getting back to the health part, you hit on the most important thing. The most important thing is the Grizzlies are expecting him uh, to make a full recovery. Uh, he posted an Instagram photos on mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. And in the photo, you can see Desmond Bain has the boot on. He's probably going to wear that for a while. And there are some summer things he has coming up. He has a summer camp that'll take place in July. And there are some other things this summer. Desmond Baines is he's a he's a workaholic. He's one of those gym rats who love to stay in the gym. So we'll have updates for sure this summer on the latest with Desmond Bain. But I'm with you from the standpoint, it does limit what he can work on. But at the same time, uh Desmond Bain's gonna find a way to get his work in. That's that's yeah. that's one of the, that's one of the guys. Where I, I don't expect him to be lazy and, and say, "Oh well, my foot's hurting. What am I supposed to do?" Uh, he's gonna find a way. He's gonna make it work. And if you look at his game, uh, once he once he gets out of that, it's gonna probably feel like he shot out of a cannon because uh, the bursts that he displayed this past season on a bad toe, I, I can't wait to see uh, what he looks like at full health. If he was averaging pretty much twenty one five and five, uh, playing most of the season that way. And he was even better before the toe injury, right? Like right there at the start of the season, he looked like an all NBA, all star caliber scorer and player. So I was pretty impressed with how he started the campaign. And hopefully that will carry over with good health into next season. Uh, Why wouldn't he wear the job run, job ones to Michael? Obviously, he's going to wear the job ones. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Jaw gave the whole team a pair. Uh, everyone, on, uh, everyone on the team has the Jaw ones. So I, I'm I'm expecting to see some guys. Where I was asking the guys actually about the Jaw ones uh, towards the end of the season. We didn't get to you know Jaw gave them to him like maybe a week or so before uh, the playoff series mm-hmm. ended. But I think uh, I, just talking to some of the guys about how they felt about them, they they liked them. They like how they feel. So I think. We'll see a couple of the guys wearing them in games next season for sure. There you go. That's what I like to hear. Uh, when when it comes to Bain, and it's a good way to yeah. kind of bring this segment full circle, the fact that I'm not worrying about Desmond Bain is Tell further you. evidence of his leadership, right? Like he has earned enough equity with the way that he carries himself, his professionalism, the way that he competes on the floor, knowing that he wasn't at full strength. 
Yeah. That's not to say that John Morant hasn't done some of those things because he has the playing not at 100%. We know John Morant has done those things in the past, mm-hmm. but it's the fact that you, and, and it goes back to, you know, not what you say, but what you do. When Desmond Bain speaks, you can trust that it is 100% what Desmond Bain is feeling and thinking, living, breathing. He's going to do his best to make that be true, or it already is true. We can't say that about John Morant anymore at this stage. We've, we've lost that trust. And if we've lost it, I can only imagine what the guys that are supposed to be following John Morant as the other Memphis Grizzlies players, what they are feeling in regards to that. Because, again, put what he actually did aside. The fact that you said one thing and then two months later, even less than that almost, you're, you're right back in the same situation. Your word is no longer valuable, yeah. at least not anywhere near the same level that it was. And it's the old adage, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? I think I got that right. Um, but you're not going to fool me again, right? Like uh, people stood up for you. They were publicly on your side, supported you. And, and this is how they're repaid, essentially. So I, I think it'll be interesting. I don't think you'll see anything publicly that people go after Jaw, But I do mm-hmm. think, you know, the players were pretty quick to defend John Morant the first time around as well when they were asked about these things. Obviously, they not necessarily been asked about it in the offseason here. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be curious if we were in if, – if it were the Western Conference Finals and the Grizzlies were playing. Imagine how crazy this would be and how the, the team would respond and react, right? I, I think that that's something to monitor when there are opportunities for these guys to potentially be asked about it, how they'll respond. I, I think they'll be well-crafted kind of PR – press release relations kinds of ideas there. But I think that you'll hear a different tone, just like you saw a different tone from the Grizzlies in terms yeah. of their suspension. I think yeah. you'll hear slightly different deliveries because again, John Morant's not one of the leaders of this team. in my opinion anymore, I think he's lost that. He can still be a player on the team, but I think moving forward, Jared and Dez for now are the leaders of the squad. Uh, obviously we're in conference final season, right? The Nuggets and the Lakers had a, barn burner of a game which jaw released his statement during in the fourth quarter very convenient Usa, breathing um Come on, Joe. Keep, keep, i need through. to keep it together we, we only got about through. 10 minutes left here western conference final game it was a great game one obviously the celtics and the heat played their game one yesterday i'm curious as to what you're taking away from these final four teams i have a takeaway I, i'm interested to hear yours to michael we're going to talk about that next here on lockdown grizzlies stay with us Welcome back to Locked On Grizzlies. I am Joe Mullinax, joined by the wonderful DeMichael Cole of the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis, Tennessee. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at DeMichael C. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Joe Mullinax. For my Bluff City work, Bluff City Media, I should say, for my SB Nation work, DeMichael over the Commercial Appeal, and then, of course, each and every day here on Locked On Grizzlies. We got you covered when it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies, the NBA at large. Thank you so much for each and every day making us a part of your Grizzlies experience. Enough John Morant stuff, enough concern about Desmond Bain's toe. That toe is going to be fine. Let's get back to current basketball. There are four teams still playing. Los Angeles Lakers, boo. Uh, The Denver Nuggets, yay. Uh, The Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Those are the final four. Same final four as going back to the bubble, right? Yep. I took away from watching these teams play and then I'll let you go to Michael. 
Um, it will, uh, if you would please. Um, I took away stability. Uh, mm. In terms of the stability. coaches like that, that are still around now, after all the firing that's been going on, Monty Williams, Mike Budenholzer, uh, you know, Nick Nurse, Doc Rivers, you know, all of these coaches that have been let go this past offseason, I think there's only five that remain from that bubble season, 2019-2020. Two of them are coaching in the conference semifinals or the conference finals, excuse me, right now. That's Eric Spolstra in Miami and Mike Malone of the Denver Nuggets. The other three, Steve Kerr, who obviously is the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, Greg Popovich, who, you know, the Spurs have been down lately, but I don't think anybody's going to say that Popovich is a bad coach. And then finally, Taylor Jenkins of the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. Those are now the longest tenured coaches mm -hmm. in the NBA. Obviously, Taylor Jenkins uh, at the bottom of that list. But the, the reality is that stability is a rarity among coaches today. And I think that, in my opinion, the Miami Heat establishing a culture, the Denver Nuggets obviously having Nikola Jokic, that helps. But having a coach with a steady system, building players around Jokic and that scheme, the Lakers are kind of unstable, right? The Celtics have stability in terms of their roster, right? Like Jalen uh, Brown and Jason Tatum, they've been around the team for a long time. Marcus Smart, there's guys that have been in that mix that are a part of that core that have been there a while. But I am taken aback by organizational stability because that is uncommon in today's NBA. So that was one of the things I noticed about these squads to Michael. What about you? I noticed the aggressiveness when you, when you talk about roster building, mm. these, these aren't your, your, your Oh, we're just going to draft and, and we're going to build these guys up and we're going to go all the way with the same team. Ooh. You, you, you're picking up what I'm putting down. A lesson this, learned. If you, if you look at the Grizzlies roster pretty much now, you, you know what it's made of. Just look at the starting lineup for this mm -hmm. past season. John Morant drafted. Desmond Bain drafted. Jaron Jackson Jr. drafted. All deservingly so. Dylan but Brooks drafted. Dylan Brooks drafted. Should we should should that have should he have still been starting? I mean, and then Steven Adams was your trade chip there. But even when Steven Adams left, Xavier Tillman was someone you drafted, stepped in uh, at center. Brandon Clark drafted. You get the point here. They pretty much the entire bench, minus these uh Resigning Tyus Jones and Luke Kennard, you had problems at small forward because it was pretty much three guys: Zaire, Jake, uh, John. Um, you know, the whole list was a bunch of guys that were drafted or undrafted by the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. The point is, look at the Lakers roster. That is a completely me re remade. Hey, look, we suck. These guys aren't good enough. Personal feelings aside, we're gonna get better. We're gonna, yeah, yeah, we love Russell Westbrook. He's a legend and all that, but skedaddle. Yeah, Patrick Beverly, he's a leader. He's bringing the energy. He's one of the guys that's challenging LeBron, but skedaddle. We got to get better. <laughs> like, <laughs> go over to the Nuggets. You, people like to talk about that Nuggets bubble team. You know, the only two starters left in that lineup, Jamal Murray and Jokic. Mm -hmm. The rest of those guys gone by the Riverside. Contavious <laughs> Caldwell Pope had to go get him. How big was he? In that first game, traded for him. Uh, Michael Porter, you drafted him, and he's kind of turned into, you know, a, a nice, a real nice uh, draft pick for that team. Aaron Gordon, that was your big trade right there. That was the yep. big trade. That was the one they went out, they acquired a nice contract. And then how about getting Bruce Brown, that pickup, and what he's done 
off the bench. So valuable. And, 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 and you go over to the other side of it as well. You know, you look at the Miami Heat acquiring Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Going out even at the buyout market this year, getting Kevin Love. And now who his value is that much more valuable with the with all the injuries that have happened around that team. Then you go over to the Celtics. Celtics are probably the closest example of building something to what the Grizzlies had. You go back four or five years ago, those Celtics teams that were in the Eastern Conference Finals, you'll see a young baby face Jason Tatum, and you'll see a young baby face with a big high top, uh, Jalen Brown. You'll see those guys. And guess what? Those are They are now probably arguably the best wing duo in the NBA to, to this day. So that groomed out perfectly. The Grizzlies can still do that with your job, Dez, and Jaron Jackson Jr. You can build it the same way. But guess what? You know what else the Celtics did? They went out and got Malcolm Brogdon, who'd be a starter on a whole bunch of other teams, but he had to settle for six man of the year over here on the Celtics. They went out and got Derek White, who, mm. oh, home, he just came on the team that already had the defensive player of the year, already had all, all defensive caliber players, and made second team all defense. These are game changers. We're not talking about going out and getting guys who are, oh, yeah, he's going to come off the bench and – He'll score seven points this game. He'll score 12 points this game. We're talking about getting game changers. We're talking about Derek White completely shifting the game defensively. We're talking about Malcolm Brogdon on a night where Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown don't have it. He's a guy who can step up. That's what I've noticed. Just the aggressiveness for how these teams have built their roster is something that the Grizzlies can pick up on from the standpoint of if there's a free agent out there that you like, go get him. Go get them and add them to this roster. If there's a trade that you think you want to make, yeah, we know uh, the Grizzlies aren't going to do any trade. That doesn't make sense. But there has to be something that makes sense. If all these other teams that that are still left, uh, they made their marks uh, at the trade deadline and got some big pieces as well. Malcolm Brogdon would have made a hell of a lot of sense on this Memphis Grizzlies team. I'm sorry. If you have that guy that is a combo guard who could be your sixth man, that would have made a heck of a lot of sense. Maybe Kyle Lowry doesn't. Maybe, you know, KCP doesn't over in Denver, but I think he would make a lot of sense on this Grizzlies roster. Uh, you know, the the Lakers, the idea of addition by subtraction, because you mm-hmm. when you when you look at these playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and obviously we experienced the first round of the Lakers. Jared Vanderbilt is almost unplayable against Denver, right? Like he has not yeah. really been as much of a factor. Uh-huh. He was a factor in the Grizzlies series, don't get me wrong. But since then, he has not had nearly the impact. D'Angelo Russell has been inconsistent yeah. in and out uh, in terms of his effectiveness. The main guy that they that has consistently been good, and I owe an apology, unfortunately, is Rui Hachimura. Oh, because oh. he continues. He, he's yeah. doing exactly what I said he wouldn't do. I said he would cool down. Hasn't happened yet. He's able to attack mismatches. He's playing better defensively. He's having a pretty impressive playoff run. He's earning himself some money in restricted free agency this summer. So I'm really thinking that going out and building upon what you already have, you have a foundation. Now is the time to go get your Malcolm Brogdon. Now is the time to go get your Contavious Caldwell Pope. Those guys are going to be available. Not those guys particularly, but there's always going to be somebody on the trade market that you could find from a team that is OG. trying to rebuild. <coughs> OG. Mm. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. That'd be a great I'm example. Coughing a little right? bit. Excuse me. Portland has the number three pick in this draft mm. now, right? Do they decide to rebuild around a number three pick and move on from Damian Lillard? Probably mm. not. 
but it, there's conversations to be had now that they have the number three pick in the draft. Yeah, They might use that pick to get Mikel Bridges or somebody like that, but they could also go in the opposite direction. Portland's one of the fascinating teams to follow this offseason. So th- there's a lot to be said for continuity. And I think that in the organization that matters as well as the roster, but you can't be afraid to make necessary upgrades. And none of the four teams in the final four, to your point, have been afraid to make those upgrades. So between those two ideas, I think that there's some lessons to be learned. Keeping the status quo as you try to redefine what the Grizzlies culture is, because it's pretty clear it needs some tweaking, given all the stuff going on with John Morant. But at the same time, understanding that you've had success, continue to build upon it, and part of building upon it is going and getting better players and using the assets you've accumulated to make that happen. This is the offseason for that. And the good news is I think the Grizzlies agree. So we should see that as maybe a, we should have a maybe we should, should do an episode on this this roster building thing. Ooh. I think we can we can expand on this a little bit. I like it. I think that might be an upcoming episode of Lockdown Grizzlies to Michael. We'll have to talk more about that. Thank you so much, everyone, for making Lockdown Grizzlies part of your day each and every day. Free and available wherever you get your podcasts as proud members of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team each and every day. Shout out to our everydayers, folks that join us every single day. I don't know if you've looked at our subscriber count lately, DeMichael, but we are so close. close. We can't celebrate it yet because if you do it right at the number, there's always somebody that will be a jerk and go, now you're under (laughs) it again. So we'll wait till we're soundly over the 2000 mark to celebrate, but we're pretty close. So thank you to everybody that has subscribed, making us a part of your Grizzlies and NBA experience. It is much appreciated. Maybe on our Friday edition of Lockdown Grizzlies, we can celebrate 2000 subscribers. Fingers crossed. If not, it'll be coming soon. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On our next episode to Michael, maybe we take a look at some roster building ideas, right? Maybe we identify where we think the Grizzlies, maybe not positionally, but in terms of what do they need that bucket getter off the bench. That's something you see on Twitter all the time. They need that bucket filler. Do they mm-hmm. need another big because of the injury concerns and all the things going on? Is that the way you go? Do you put all your eggs in the basket of the star? We've talked about depth and that a little bit, but archetypes, break maybe, it down. maybe, maybe we do it from an NBA 2K kind of vibe, right? Let's, let's like break a, it down. I'm a, here an for archetype. It. What kind of, what type of player would you like to see on this Grizzlies team the most. That feels like a good Friday edition of the show theme. I'm here for it. I I, I like the idea. I think uh, a lot of Grizzlies fans, what I've learned just covering this team is Mm -hmm. people have gotten attached to players you probably shouldn't get attached to. But That's very much a Memphis thing. I think that's fandom in general, but it's definitely a Memphis thing. You know, I'm, I don't know now. In, in, in Golden State, they're 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 ready to ship out dudes that. Oh, I, I mean, hey, Jordan Jordan Poole in Memphis. I don't, I don't know if if Memphis would be giving oh. up on him uh, the same way they have. But I, I digress. We'll 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 divulge in that. We'll talk more about it. I like it. So make sure you're turning in the Friday's edition. It's going to be a good one. For DeMichael Cole, I'm Joe Mullinax. Until next time, stay locked in. This is Locked On Grizzlies. Have a great rest of your.